Well, this is uh, something that is becoming a, a more familiar sight um, as we approach or as we approached uh, Christmas these days, Black Friday. Uh, it's, it's really a, a, an American tradition uh, that precedes uh, Thanksgiving. And it's a day when, when a lot of uh, stores and shops online have, have massive uh, reductions on, on many of their, their, products, their products. And if you've ever seen any of the pictures or the, or the, the, the videos online, it creates mayhem, absolute mayhem. Here's um, a picture of, of, of Asda representing something closer to, to World War III. People climbing over each other and, and, and to try and get their hands on the bargains. And one of the items is very popular uh, is uh, the widescreen television or um, a smart TV. Smart TV is, as, as they're now known. And for those of us uh, who aren't familiar um, with smart TVs, they, they allow us to, to pause and to, to rewind TV programs. We can, we can go online and you can, uh, you can watch catch up on TV. If you miss a program, you can go back and watch it. And one feature that I enjoy on, on our smart TV is the, the capability to record programs. You know, if you're not going to be in that night and there's something that you want to watch, you can re record it. But I was watching a program the other day and as I was watching the program the other day, a message came up onto the screen of the TV to say that some of the recorded programs were being deleted because we had run out of storage space. So I went through the menu to see what was taking up all the space. And after I made my way through recordings of uh, Postman Pat and Thomas the Tank Engine and uh, Peppa Pig, I soon realized what was taking up so much space. And it wasn't just those that was taking up space, Hercule Poirot. You know Hercule, Hercule Poirot, he was one of the culprits, along with Agatha Christie's Miss Marple and Jessica Fletcher's Murder, She Wrote. It was Terry's fault, it wasn't my fault. Now, like myself, Terry enjoys uh, a, good, a good mystery, a good mystery program. And now and again, I have to say, now there is Hercule, not glad for a tash, look at that. Now and again, I would tolerate an episode of Poirot simply to see if my, my judgment of character is as good as I, as I think it is. And what is important in trying to work out who done it, so to speak, is to never overlook any character in the story, even the most incidental character, because he or she may turn out to be the criminal, the one who done it. Now, when it comes to the Bible and characters of the Bible, as is the case with any book we read, we must not overlook any of the characters because they may indeed prove to be more significant than we realize. And if you, if, if you or I were asked to name some of the most important people in the Old Testament, we would say Noah and, and Abraham and, um, and Ruth and all those kind of names. Chances are Melchizedek wouldn't be particularly high on our list. But in the letter to the Hebrews, the author, prior to chapter 7, has already, he's already mentioned this mysterious Melchizedek on two occasions. And now chapter 7 introduces him for a third time. But on this occasion, the author goes into much greater detail. So who was Melchizedek? What do we learn from him from, from the Old Testament scriptures? What do we learn from him from the letter to the Hebrews? And ultimately, what is his connection with Jesus Christ? 
Well, the first time Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 14 and in verses 17 to 20. Genesis 14, 17 to 20. And there we read, after Abraham, who became known as Abraham, Abraham, after Abraham returned from defeating Kedolomar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Then in Psalm 110, which the author to the Hebrews refers to, we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's, that's it. That's, that, is, uh, that is all the information that we have concerning Melchizedek. Yet the author, the author of the Hebrews spends an entire chapter, and we read through it, and it was hard to read through. He spends an entire chapter referring to him, and at times in a, in a very confusing way. But at the core of what the author is saying is the emphasis upon Christ's superiority over the Aaronic priesthood. Now remember again, and this is very important, the context. The context is very important. The author is writing to Jewish Christians who have a strong desire to hark back to the Old Testament Jewish form of worship. In particular, the act of sacrificial atonement for sins, sacrificing of animals. And fundamentally for us as 21st century uh, readers, the truths of the words recorded in chapter 7 are vitally important for us. They, they need to be imprinted upon our hearts because I have come across situations with individuals who struggle, who struggle with the concepts of sin and forgiveness. They struggle with these things. And I will highlight one of those situations just a, a, a little later on. But to begin with, I would like to look at four characteristics concerning Melchizedek, which the author puts forward. Firstly, um, we learn of his, uh, his rank or his status. In both Genesis 14 and Psalm 110, we see that Melchizedek is a priest. And to be a priest was to be chosen by God and appointed to this, this most sacred and significant role within the life of the nation of Israel. But Melchizedek's role as priest is somewhat different to the established priesthood which was founded under Moses' brother Aaron. For that priesthood is yet to be established. We are told in Genesis that Melchizedek is a priest of, of the Most High God, a position which can only be bestowed upon him by God. And just as he was ordained to the, the priestly role by God, like Christ also was ordained by God to fulfill the role of priest. We see in particular that he is a, a, as one who would bring the, the sacrifice on, on the part of the people's sin. As the priest would do in the Old Testament, then Jesus would bring the sacrifice on the part of the people's sin. So that is his status. Secondly, we learn that like Christ, Melchizedek was a king. But he wasn't only a king because he was a priest and a king. And this is significant, significantly unlike the Levitical through Levi priesthood because in that context, a priest could only be a priest. 
And likewise, a king could only be a king. And the author is stressing Christ's role as king because it is so important to remember that, that he is, is now seated in the heavenly throne, that he is judging and, and ruling over all the nations, yet at the same time, he was the one who shed his own blood as a mean, means of sacrifice for the atonement of humanity's sins. As one um, commentator uh, puts it, as king, he is just, and as priest, he justifies all who trust in his atoning sacrifice. Thirdly, then, we are given information about his name, Melchizedek's name. Verses 2 and 3 there we, we read. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. He is without father or, mo or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the son of God, he remains priest forever. And it is suggested that Salem, S-A-L-E-M, is really a, short, a shortening of Jerusalem. Salem or Salem or Shalom in the Hebrew means peace. And the connection between peace and righteousness is very relevant because for any of us to know real peace before God, we must first be made righteous in his sight. And of course, that is only possible through faith and trust in Christ as Lord. Now, it's the second part of what the author in Hebrews says about Melchizedek that is a bit more confusing. Confusing. He tells us that he was without father and mother, beginning or end. And like Christ, he remains a priest forever. Now, we are not given this information in, in the account in Genesis. So where might we ask, as the, as the author, where is he getting this information from? What he is doing is simply drawing out his own interpretation of the Genesis text and applying the role of Christ and implying it back into the role of Melchizedek. The genealogy is not important because unlike the usual priesthood, Melchizedek's role as priest has not been handed down to him through his ancestors. And just like Christ, who is uh, without beginning or end, and we read that from, from John's gospel this morning, he will remain a priest forever. And most significantly here is how the two are said to resemble each other. We are told that Melchizedek is like or resembles the Son of God. And as has been the case throughout this letter, we have another occasion whereby a word is used only once in the whole of the New Testament. And, and, and that word is, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult in the Greek, a fomoi menos. One time used in the New Testament, a fomo menos, which translates as resembling. Resembling. This word has close connections with the word facsimile. You remember the days... Uh, uh, of uh, before emails, we had those those big slow fax uh, machines, and a, a fax. What a fax was is really a copy of of the original. And in this case, although it may seem that Melchizedek is the original and Christ the copy, what the author is doing is reversing that that order. Stay still with me. Fourthly, we learn of Melchizedek's supremacy, and this is seen through his relationship with Abraham all of which is incorporated in verses 4 to 10. The Jews held, and the Jews and the Jews that the author was speaking to, the Jews held and they still hold Abraham in the highest esteem. 
But from what we read here, we clearly see that Abraham holds Melchizedek in even higher esteem because he offers a tithe to him. But the author isn't trying to draw a connection between these two men, but rather he is making a connection between Abraham and Aaron. That's why he so quickly introduces Levi into this equation. All the Aaronic priests had to be descended, descendants of Levi. And Levi, as we know, was a descendant of Abraham. And in Genesis, we see being traced this, the, the line of priesthood. And in, in, in essence, Abraham, as a direct descendant of the priesthood, is offering tithes to Melchizedek as a means of indicating that he is superior to the Levitical priesthood. And once again, because he is superior and because he resembles Christ Jesus, the author of Hebrews has clearly put forth his argument which attests to the superiority of Christ as the great high priest. And in setting forth what he's done and setting forth his argument based on historical evidence which we read, the author now goes on in verses 11 through to the end to show in what ways Christ is of the order of Melchizedek and how he is indeed superior to it. And it, it is at this point that, that we, you and I, the contemporary reader, are we are now being brought into an understanding of the superior role of Christ as king and priest. I mentioned at the beginning that I, I, I've come across individuals who in some ways struggle, really struggle with their understanding of sin and forgiveness. For example, I'll share an example with you. When I was um, assistant in Trinity in, in Balamoni, I got a phone call one day from the Presbyterian chaplain in the Royal Victoria Hospital. And he was ringing to let me know that a member of, of Trinity was, was in the hospital. And the lady in question had received some treatment for an eye infection. And by this stage, she had actually been in hospital for, for some five weeks. Uh, so I made arrangements uh, to go to the Royal uh, Victoria Hospital and visiting times, if you ever try to go to the Royal Victoria during visiting times, it's a nightmare. Visiting times are from 2.30pm and I turned off the, the roundabout uh, uh, where the, the great big uh, monument of the, uh, the, the two balls there, but the, the roundabout, I turned off um, uh, 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 at the roundabout and as I entered the hospital there were cars tailed back right to the, to the turn off of, of, of the roundabout. So I sat for about 15 minutes. And then I decided to pop with this. I'll drive over to the Boucher Road and I'll park in McDonald's. Maybe get a coffee while I'm there. I got the car parked and then I started to walk then to the hospital. It started to rain. And it was chucking it down. And I got absolutely soaked. This is all relevant, okay? I finally made it to the hospital only to learn that the ward where the lady was was at the far end, what was in the old part of the hospital and on the fifth floor. And to make matters worse, the lift wasn't working. But I finally made it to the ward and I located the side room where, where the lady was. Her name was, was Mrs. Tweet and where she was resting in the bed. There were a few nurses in the room and we chatted about how, you know, how wet it was, as we do. We talked about the, the weather and I talked briefly about my laborious journey to get to the hospital. And I then sat down beside Mrs. Tweet and I explained who I was. And something just didn't seem quite right. And as she was chatting, I decided to, to interrupt her and to ask her what her address was. I said, Mrs. Tweed, where, where exactly do you live? 
which turned out to be an address in Lisburn. And it turned out that she wasn't a member of Trinity and Balamoney, but that she was a member of Trinity and Board Mills. Now, honestly, part of me thought, right, do your bit and just get away home. But then Mrs. Tweed, she started to talk. And she talked about how she believed, firstly, that she was going to, to lose the sight in her eye. She told me that she was trusting in Jesus as her Lord, but in some way she felt that that God must be punishing her for some sin in her life because of, because of her, her eye. And, and it was at this point that I became clear, it became clear to me why I was there to see her. God moves in mysterious ways. And we talked about sin, we talked about forgiveness, and I had an opportunity once again to share the gospel with her and to pray for her. But what it showed me was, it showed me that there are believers who struggle to come to terms with, with illness and disease and can very often equate these things to some unresolved sin in their lives. And the author to the Hebrews is once again stressing the role of Christ as the great high priest, as the atoning sacrifice for sins. And the letter's recipients were once again prone to, to heart back, as we know, to heart back to the, the old means of sacrificial cleansing. They felt that they had, to, they had to sacrifice a sin. They must sacrifice an animal and see the blood being shed. And in some senses, it seems easier to sacrifice that way in relation to specific sin. And it's almost, it's almost likened to confessing to a, a Catholic priest and, and seeking um, absolution. But here we see the great high priest not only offering sacrifice, but himself becoming the sacrifice. And it is because he is the sinless son of God that he is superior to any of the Old Testament sacrifices that we, you and I, can be assured not to fall into the trap of believing that, that God might be punishing us for some unresolved sin. Because as the author to the Hebrews is stressing, Christ as king and priest presented before God a perfect sacrifice. And whenever we trust in him for salvation, our salvation is perfectly and fully effective in and through Jesus. And very quickly this morning and in closing, um, I just want to consider in what ways Christ indeed is superior. How he has achieved perfection. And from, what, and, and from that, what ways practically do these impact upon our lives? So firstly, we see that he is superior in character. Even though Christ was a man, he did not sin. Not once did he sin. As we looked a few weeks ago, we considered the role of the Old Testament priest and part of his role including, included making atonement for his own sins. Before he could bring the, the, the blood of the, the slaughtered animal to the, the mercy seat, he had to be cleansed himself from sin. For as a man, he sinned. But Christ never sinned. His character was and is flawless in the sight of God the Father. He is superior in character. We also see that he is limitless in his authority and power. Some people believe that to gain salvation, okay, to, to be saved, it takes Jesus plus a little bit of effort on our parts. This is wrong. It is wrong and it is a lie that Satan weaves into the hearts 
of men and women. It is Christ's power which affects the absolute perfection of his sacrifice. Therefore, as believers, if this morning we have, we have come to trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, we have come to trust in his complete power and his absolute perf perfection in gaining our redemption. You see, his death, his death is able to save us fully and completely. There is nothing that we need to do to add to it. And I believe that this is where, this is where many people fall short. They fall short of accepting Christ as Lord because they think that they have to bring something to the table or that they have to lose something that they love, which is namely their sin. Christ's death is effective unto salvation for all those who trust in him. We read from verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. You know, and there is one of the, the great promises to the believer. We will be saved and we will continue to be saved because Christ prays that we may stand firm in our salvation to the end. And practically, this is, is an ongoing process of salvation or sanctification. This ongoing process should, should spur us on to Christian maturity, which we were thinking about a few weeks ago. For that is what salvation is. Salvation is not a one-time fix-me-up, but it is a, a constant process of salvation and sanctification. And the great truth of what we read in Hebrews 7 is that Christ Jesus not only paid the perfect sacrifice for our sins, but he intercedes in prayer for us. So whenever you, you fall foul of the strains and the worries of this world, whenever you feel that, that you are out of your depths in whatever, whatever way that might be, certainly Turn to others. Turn to others for support and for prayer. But never forget that as a child of God, Christ Jesus prays for you. It's, it's almost like you're sitting in one room of the house. And Jesus, well, Jesus is in the next room. And he's praying for you. He's praying for you that we will persevere to the end in our salvation. And as the truth of that becomes a reality to you, begin to consider what ways that changes. That changes every aspect of your life. And it must do. Let us pray. Christ Jesus, to consider that, that you as the king and the great high priest pray for us, that we would persevere to the end that we would see and inherit the, the promises and the, the blessing of salvation and eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do to achieve that or earn it or hold on to it or lose it because it is in what you have done in your perfect sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to, to see the great and glorious truth of this and help us also to see that we... That we as unbelievers and unbelievers reject you because they love their sin too much. We must forfeit that sin to gain the life that you've always desired for us to have. 
We thank you, Lord, for your atoning sacrifice. We thank you that we can sing 10,000 reasons over what you have done for us. We can sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, not because of what I have done, but because of what Christ has done and what Christ has done in me. Lord, help us to sing that song. Help us to, to, to share that story. Help us to be encouraged in our times of doubt and fear and worry that Christ is right beside us and he is praying for us. We will stand firm. He will hold on to us. Lord, we thank you for this glorious truth. Impart its riches to our hearts and souls and minds. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, worship his holy name. And even on that day when our, our life is fading and we lay on our deathbeds, we can still sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let us worship. <clears throat>